Thank you so much, Deacon Jinwei, for leading us in our service, and we thank you, Siu Ling and Jesse, for leading us in the time of worshipping God. When we gather once a week as God's people, we call ourselves Christians because we follow Jesus the Christ, we focus our minds and everything that's done in the service is to do that. For a whole week, you are out there and there are many voices and many fears to face. But when we come here, we listen to God's voice together in fellowship and out of that, we go forth and continue to stand for God, for Jesus. So we arrive at Deuteronomy 4 and the passage today is and the message today is entitled, Don't Forget to Remember. Do you have that? Yes. So there is the goodness of remembrance. There is also the badness and the sadness of forgetfulness, of amnesia. And what do we mean by this? And so um, I don't know whether you've caught a clip, an episode of um, this Japanese reality show. If I'm not wrong, it's called First Errands. It's part of Japanese culture that from very young, right, the parents send their children from very young out to be as independent as possible, right? As young as five years old, six years old, to walk from home to school, to do errands. And this particular episode had, I think, featured a young boy. His name is Ken, I think. And he's five years old. And he's sent by his mum. Seems like she was a single mum. And um, she's maybe on the third, fourth floor of an apartment block. Sends him out to the local mini-mart just around the corner, about 300 metres around the corner, to buy different things. And because she's worried, so concerned, that he lacks focus and cannot remember. And she noticed that of him. And so sent him out, let's say, to buy bean sprouts. I actually took this down, but... Most of the things were right, but hopefully... And, and he, he, he went along to the minimart by himself, a five-year-old in the minimart, and finally picked out some vegetables, something. He comes running back. He calls out to his mum. The mum looks at him. No, it's the wrong thing. Mum sends him back. He's cheerful. He runs all the way back, gives it back, okay? And then uh, finally picks up the right thing, comes back, comes back with one pack. The mum says, I asked you to buy three. Runs back again. <laughs> so it goes to and fro and to and fro. And finally, he does it. He does it, right? And now, the thing that stunned me about this reality show is that it's 17 years later. This same boy of five years old is now 17 plus 5, 23, 24, right? And they zoom in on him in his adult years. Imagine the producer of this program following it right through. Whether it's the same producer, same director, I'm not sure. And now he's grown up and features him. He's a mechanic. His mom has passed on. And he's at the graveyard. And he's speaking to his mom. Mom, don't worry. Right? I, I made good. I have a job. I can focus. I can remember. And he tears up. What do you call that? I would call that good remembrance of someone he knows without doubt was out for his good as she sent him out again and again. Not as punishment, you watch the clip, he's just cheerful. Right? So there's goodness of remembrance. But there's also sadness and badness when we forget. And there is uh, uncontrollable, unavoidable forgetfulness that comes from dementia, which is an exploding problem around the world. And we in Singapore are not spared that. And so, in the depths of COVID, what could we do except watch some good movies? And I must confess to watching this one with Son Ye Jin. I mean, with Mona watching Song Ye Jin. 
Okay. And she acts this famous Korean actress in K-drama, right? I don't watch the series, but there was a movie and it focused on dementia. She's a young lady, she falls in love, right? She gets married. And soon after, she discovers uh, she's been having headaches, so she's not feeling well, and she goes to check up, and she has an aggressive dementia. She's going to lose her memory. And so what happens? She can't distinguish more and more from her memory lapse. And then comes in this, in this plot, in this movie, her old boyfriend. And there's a scene in which the boyfriend comes to visit, and there is danger in his visit. And she's trying to work out who she married to, the man whom she loves, the boyfriend that dropped her and broke up, and she can't remember, and she's frantically writing down. She has really started to put photos all around and write notes all around to remember, as her husband goes out to work, to remember the things in her life. One of the saddest things about dementia is that you forget. You forget your loved ones closest to you. And with aggressive dementia to end stages, understand, you forget to feed yourself, and finally you starve to death. And so in this scene, she runs around, she's frantic, she's panicky, so pitiful, so sad. And we call that unavoidable forgetfulness. And unforgettable forgetfulness, that means you can't help yourself. Everything within you wants to remember the true loves of your life, but nothing within you gives you the capacity. That's quite different to intentional forgetfulness of God the most important person in the universe, the most important person in your life and my life. That's quite different to forgetting the most important person God puts into your life, beginning with your parents, who raised you so other person centeredly so sacrificially, that you will want to forget them when they grow old and increasingly become a cramping, a cramping of your lifestyle. It's a serious thing to forget. Once you can capture that, the goodness of remembrance and the sadness and badness of intentional forgetfulness of God and all the people He puts into our life to love us and for us to love in return, you can understand Deuteronomy. You can understand Deuteronomy 4. Indeed, you can understand the whole Bible. Because the whole Bible's message is, there is a God, there is only one and true, true and living God. And Deuteronomy 4 repeats that. There is none but Him. There is none but Him. For Israel, the name of God revealed to, the name of God revealed to Israel is Yahweh. 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 I do not care about all the other fake gods that man makes, and that every empire has, but God says to His people through Moses, tell them, my name is Yahweh. So Israel is never to forget. So a possible outline on Deuteronomy 4 is why remember? And what is it Israel is to remember specifically for them as they are marching into the promised land, a second generation. The first generation has been punished, has been judged, has been wiped out. Moses remains as the leader. Aaron remains. And ultimately, it's who to remember. Not just why, not just what, but who is it Israel and all of us are to remember all the days of our life. And so, don't forget to remember. With that, it's important, that context. Then we can understand what's happening here. And now, o Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I, Moses, am teaching you. 
and as you listen, do them that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. A repeated thing throughout this chapter is you listen, you do. You listen, you do. Right? So practical faith, right, is practical faith is workable. Faith is always practical. That's the way to put it. And when God calls Israel to hear, is to hear with the intention to obey. Hear with the intention to obey. Every day, you listen to lots of noises and voices out there. Which ones do you listen to with an intention to obey? If God tells you that you're struggling with lust, listen to obey. If God tells you that your problem is envy, listen with intention to obey. If God tells you that your problem is ambition, listen to obey. If God tells you that your problem is anger, listen to obey. Do you ever listen with the intention to obey? To obey God. And to obey who He sends into your life. It's not good enough that we sit here and listen, and after a service here or anywhere in the world, you walk straight out and what God has said to you in His Word said to you in his word true and appointed preacher or pastor you forget it's not good enough that you go to a weekly bible study and you discuss god you discuss god but god never controls your life in anything that your life is filled with discontentment instead of contentment that your life is filled with other concerns instead of do not worry about anything but everything by prayer and petition present your request to god it is not acceptable that you and me read our Bibles in the morning and an hour later or by evening, you can't remember what you read. Do you listen with intention to obey? It's not just Israel's problem. It is our problem. And the starting point to repentance in our listening is to start with this for all of us. And what's the starting point? The starting point is to firstly confess and repent. And the confession is, apart from your grace, I will be a very bad listener. You want to say that to yourself? I'm a bad listener to God. I'm a slow listener to God. And I'm an unwilling listener to God. I'm more willing to listen to my own heart, do my own things, my own way. But the listening to God is unwilling and slow and prideful and stubborn. You start with the confession and realization that I'm a poor or bad listener to God. God will listen to your cry for help. Israel were poor listeners. And so this is all part of a covenant, the big picture. Without the covenant, this whole thing about listening, obeying, doing makes no sense. God has never done this for any other nation, the repeated theme in Deuteronomy 4. What is it He hasn't done for any other nation? He has never set another, His eye, as on the apple of His eye is Israel. He has never saved another nation like this. He's never made a covenant with another nation. So it's all about covenant. And many of us give the modern equivalent of covenant as a contract. Uh, helpful and yet unhelpful. Helpful that in that there is, in one sense, no modern version of a covenant. Maybe there are, very rarely. 
A contract is between two equal parties. You want to buy a car? Seller, buyer. Sign a contract, that's it. You want to buy a property? Seller, buyer, sign a contract, that's it. Right? So two equal parties. A covenant is made between two unequal parties. A suzerain, old English word, a king, and a vassal. And so yesterday, they just crowned King Charles III. Right? King Charles III. And the, the British ruled half the world, literally, at that time. And so they were like the suzerain. And we were all like their colonies. That's more like a covenant. And once you are into that, right, that's a negative picture. But with God, His whole intention was to bless, bless, bless. Not to come and take the spices of people, the riches of people, for the glory of an empire. God had one intention to bless. And how do you know that? It all goes back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. So the initiator of this covenant is God. The partner that receives God's promise and blessing is Israel. The witness to this covenant is are the per most permanent in the whole of creation, heaven and earth, created by God to be His witnesses. The duty of this covenant is not simply to believe this for ourselves, but because it's so good, it's so benevolent, it's so altruistic, it's so for us, and when God blesses us, He blesses us to worship Him and to trust Him. We are to pass it on to our children. And Israel must choose that this is a God who is after her heart. This is a God who is after her to bless her. And if you fast forward to the end of Deuteronomy, you will find this. See, I've said before you. Why don't you read this? Deuteronomy 30 verse 15. Can you read that together with me? Verse 30 to 15. See, I've said before you today. And so, very simple message for Israel, you've got to choose. If you choose that as the recipients, an undeserved recipient of my covenant and my promise to you, you will be blessed. But if you choose not to obey, if your heart turns away, you will not hear but, and will not hear and are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall perish that you shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and to possess. And this choice that God gives here, called the Deuteronomic principle, runs right through the Bible, and I give you the foretaste of it, is the last chapter of Revelation. And God says, for those who believe in this, they will enter, they will enter the new Jerusalem and taste of the tree of life. For those who do not believe in this, outside are the dogs, the sexually immoral, and all who love and practice falsehood. It's interesting that the last book of the Bible ends with a choice that comes from the origins of Deuteronomy. So the choice Israel faced and the choice we all face is blessed for obedience, cursed for disobedience. This is not salvation by merit, 
This is salvation by grace, but grace is not cheap. And grace, the grace of God deserves, demands our obedience. And it is that in which we are blessed. So what is it that Israel was to remember? What specifically was Israel to remember? Very importantly, Israel is to remember God's word. You shall not add to the word that I command, nor take away from it, no addition to it, no subtraction from it. This is the word God gave to Moses, specifically it is this. And so it speaks of the sufficiency of God's word. This particular word that is here, you do not add to it, you do not subtract from it. But if you widen that to scripture, and you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 onwards, all scripture is God breathed. And all scripture is useful for correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. That means everything that God spoke, not just the specific one here, Moses to Israel while she marched into the promised land, should not be meddled with. It's the authority of God's word and the sufficiency of God's word. And so we have quoted in our different sermons, the huge debate that has rocked the church is that they have decided, the bishops of the church have decided, that they should go ahead and bless same-sex attraction, attracted marriages. And we said to you, churches that we know well, All Souls Church, St. Epps, from which many of our students go and are grounded in the gospel, come back even more grounded and in love with the Lord Jesus. Churches that we find rock solid have to say, this is where we draw the line. For we do not read in Scripture, God blessing sin. We have no right to add or to subtract to it. And the meaning of God's Word is not, is not dependent on cultures and human progress. And just in case you think this was new, this was practiced, all forms of sexuality was practiced in Egypt. And all forms of sexuality is practiced in Canaan. You read Leviticus, and that's what he warns them. When you enter Canaan, you're going to find all sorts of idolatries and all sorts of immoralities. So the meaning of God's word is not in the recipient. That's the way we teach literature today. That's one of the main worldviews around. You read anything, it's not the authorial intent. The meaning of a text, right, is not what Shakespeare meant when he wrote this. As you read this today, in 2023, what does it mean for you? You imagine that, you take that into everything of life, that the meaning of communication is not in you, the speaker, but in you, the listener. With my two grandchildren, and our granddaughter just turned two yesterday, let's say I give her, right, spoken word from me, the author of this. Don't touch that, Eden, it's hot. She thinks about it, she's two years old. Hmm, but the meaning is dependent upon me, the recipient. I touch. Ouch. It doesn't work in life, friends. The meaning is always in the speaker. We have taken God's word and say the meaning is in us, the recipient. We add and subtract to what we like. There is no selective obedience to the word of God. And it began with God's covenant with Israel. With any other God who is dumb and dead, made by man, that all the prophets come along and say they are dead and dumb because they are made by man. You do not compare Yahweh and His Word to that. You can chop and change 
the words of your man-made idols. You cannot chop and change the word of the living God. Amen? So here with intention to obey, because He's the true, He's the living, and He's the loving God. He's only one purpose for you, to love you, to save you. And just in case you do not know this, Israel, I'll give you a real example, a case study, in which you thought right, that this, my holiness and my purposes, can be compromised. That you can make me like any of the idols. I'll quote to you Baal Peor. In Numbers 25, it's called Beth Peor. But more, just a slight twist of the words, but most likely the same incident. And what happened here? In which the Lord got destroyed among them, all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord, your God, are alive today. So if you obey, you live. If you disobey, you curse and you die. And remember Baal Peor? They were unfaithful to Israel, unfaithful Israel, joined in the worship of Baal. They had sexual relations with Moabite women. The unfaithful were punished with a plague and the leaders executed. The faithful obedient are still alive. You read the whole Bible. From the Old Testament, New Testament, there's always temple and temple worship and temple prostitutes. We, we can't understand that. The, the, the human thinking, ground-up religion, man-made religion is we want fertility for our land, agricultural land. We want prosperity for us. And what will bring fertility to our land? But a man and woman having relationships, consummating in, in a temple, then we invoke the fertility of the gods to our wombs. That's so old-fashioned, is it? I went to India, and one of the people we met was just talking, said, you, you see this, this group? Yeah. yeah, the Dalits. The only job available to Dalit women in this village here, in this province here. You see the temples there? there? All the daughters, all their daughters, when they turn 12 or 13, they all work as temple prostitutes. It's staggering for me to hear in 21st century world, just in case you think these stories in the Bible are made up, it's not so serious. And when you cite those children, those, those women, those girls, my goodness, that's the only thing they have for the rest of their life. Centuries of this, our ground-up man-made religion, that thinks so mistakenly that God needs our help to bring fertility to the land. No, it is God who will bless us. We cannot bless ourselves with our man-made gods. So why remember? Keep them, do them, keep them, do them. And the reasons, I can only but summarize. Remember, Israel, you were called not because you deserve it, you are meritorious. You are called because, and because you are called, God's nearness to you and God's goodness to you, God's righteousness. You are called to be a witness to God. That's why you are called. So Israel is chosen by God. She's called a great nation. In what ways is Israel great? Israel is not great because of her political acumen. As wise as Switzerland to reign neutral, as wise as Singapore to reign neutral. Israel is not a great nation because of her economic prosperity. Israel is not great because of her military strategy. Israel is great because of the nearness of God and the goodness of God to her. Giving her laws, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, and then broken down into statutes and rules, 
most likely legislation and then case law, right? These are the Ten Commandments and then the fine print and then the case law. If there's a fight between Nick and Jinwei, what's the legislation and how does it work out as a case law? Is that the meaning of it? Yes. And no other nation has such righteous and just laws as Israel. Israel is not great because of her politics, economics, or military prowess. She is great because God is near and good to her. Let me just drive home good and near, right? Near and good, right? Because of my grey hair, I get on an MRT. If I get on an MRT, what should happen? Some people should offer me their seat because I got grey hair, because the picture is there, right? So sometimes I stand right in front of the seat and there are young folks sitting there. I'm okay. And you can see, I can still, I'm okay, right? I'm really okay. I can do this and get up, right? I'm okay, I'm, I'm okay. But I'm just waiting for civic-mindedness, right? And let's say um, I gently ask, it's not an okay day example, right? I've got a pain in my knee. Can, can I sit? Why? If you were a church member, they said, that's Pastor Chris. He just got bullied by somebody. You jump up and in slow motion, you run to my rescue. Now you come up to me, how dare you say that to him? He's my pastor. Give him the seat. Ah. So that's a nearness, you're near to me and you're good to me. But you know, the common thing among Asians and Singaporeans, you may be there, you see somebody being bullied, somebody falling down and you stand at a distance and no help. You could be near but not good. And that's not the right way. This is a God who is near to them. He hears the cries of His people and then He answers their cries. They cry out to Him while they are enslaved in Egypt. God hears their cries and He says to Moses, I will deliver them. I will. And I will deliver them so that they will worship Me and they will be a great nation because I am their God. And so, that's why they should remember. They should remember this to be a witness to the other nations for God's glory. If you are blessed, and we are blessed in Singapore, we are blessed not because we are meritorious. We are blessed because God wants us to use us as the Antioch to Southeast Asia, and the Antioch to Asia. Amen? You're never blessed personally because you are brainy, because you are good-looking. If God blesses you with all those things, right, it's so that you become an influencer not for self, you become an influencer for Him. Then what is it there to remember? The repeated phrase is, only take care, only take care, keep your soul diligently. You see that. And what is it they need to remember? Remember you stood before the Lord your God, where? At Horeb, the alternative name, aka to Mount Sinai. The Lord said to me, so that they may learn, learn to fear me. And you came near and stood at the foot of this mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. I just wanted to highlight that this is God's, the technical word is theophany. The true and living God appeared to no other nation but to His chosen nation. And when you appeared, you appear, you appear, you appear to be seen. The true and living God does not appear to be seen. He appeared to be heard. And He appears to be obeyed. He appears to be feared. So, hear Him, fear Him. Hear Him, fear Him. The reverencing of the true and the living God. 
And this is a scene they will never forget. I want to ask you, have you ever witnessed a fire? Have you ever witnessed a tragedy? Right? I witnessed a fire that I'll never forget. I've shared this perhaps. Then I was sharing this in our training of our leaders before they go and train the other leaders un under their care, our 88 discipleship group leaders. Of a fire as I saw as a young boy in my town in Tampin in, in Malaysia. And then I said, it's a true account to the leaders. Maybe just Google it and you might find it. The New Straits Times of Malaysia might have it. And one of the leaders immediately as I was speaking, carry on teaching, he, he Googled it, he found it. That 12 people of the Pang family died in this fire. It broke out about 3 a.m. The small town that I live in is one street town. I live on one street in the shop house. We heard shouts and screams. We all stood in front of the house. It was up in blaze already. The father managed to jump out. But then the blaze engulfed the front and the back and the old houses made of wood. They all had bars on the window to prevent thieves from breaking in, but the very bars kept them in. And all we could hear and all we could smell was a whole family dying, plus an 80-year-old tenant who also died in that fire. So it was 13. 13 for us Malaysians of the older generation is not a good number. May 13 was the race riots, and I lived through that. This 13 is another thing that stayed with us. It's an awful fire. The flames shot up to the sky. The fire at Mount Sinai is not an awful fire. It's an awesome fire. The fire that I witnessed, I want to forget, but I'll never forget because as I stand, I can still hear the cries of the people in there, dying, burned to them. The awesome appearance of God in Mount Horeb was to be unforgettable for His people. He appeared to them not to be seen, but to be heard, to be obeyed, to be feared, to be reverenced in their life so that the nations will know so remember what? Remember God speaking to you at Horeb? Remember God saying to you, be careful, be careful, be careful? He's speaking to you about spiritual alertness. Don't let down your spiritual guard because this is a spiritual battle from beginning to end. To fear God alone, not to fear the giants, the Rephamites and the Canaanites and all the ites of the land. They are bigger than you. They are. You, as God's people, you don't have less fears, but you learn to fear less. The giants are still there. The fortresses are still invincible. You don't necessarily have less fears. God doesn't give you less fears in life, but He teaches you by faith in Him, you will learn to fear the circumstances and foes in life less. And you are to have, remember, Zero tolerance for idols. You read that. No idols are male or female. You go to many nations, go to, walk into your museums, there are deities of male and female, men and women. No idols of animals, birds, I miss one, reptiles and fish. This is going back to creation. No idols of the sun and the moon and the stars. When they march into Canaan, they will find a distinctive thing among the Canaanites they will find them worshipping the sun, the moon, and the stars, which they may not have found in Egypt. And God says, when you look up, don't be astounded by it. So we make two mistakes with creation. In Romans chapter 1, right, God tells us in Romans chapter 1 that God can be seen in creation. 
So when you look at the birds of the air, the lilies of the field, in the words of the Lord Jesus, when you look at the birds of the air and the lilies of the field, it should slowly point you, point you, point you not to worry as your number one currency in life. It should point you to faith in God, that God feeds the birds and God decorates the flowers. So creation should be a pointer to the Creator. But when we reject creation as a pointer to the Creator, you become an atheist. That's one mistake. Though the evidence of God is so there as you walk the botanic gardens, as you walk and you see the mountains and the seashore, God created this. I didn't create this. The second mistake we make is we look at creations and we start to worship. That we call idolatry. And so we shouldn't fall for either. Remember, and when we understand the full context of this, this is the iceberg of unbelief from chapters 1 to chapter 4. They don't go into the land, the first generation. Can you correct that for me? I actually put the wrong word there. They won't go. There's a difference between cannot go and will not go. Cannot go is something is handicapping me, preventing me from going. Will not go is a willful thing. I already know God. I've seen him deliver me from Pharaoh. I've seen him speak to me at Mount Sinai. But I will not go. The bottom of the iceberg is distrust. And so from distrust will come the grumbling. From the grumbling will come the fear. From the fear will come the will not go. So do you trust God or don't trust God? And trust of God is like a switch, you know? It's either on or off. It doesn't do much good, huh? If I go up to my wife, Mona, and say, Mona, I love you so much, and I trust you 70% today. By next week, I hope you'll increase to 80%. By the end of the year, you do enough good to me, it'll be 100% by Christmas. There are no gradations in trust. It's either on or off. So do you trust the seat they're sitting on? Do you trust the seat? You must. You put your whole body weight on it. I went to preach at Bishan at the auditorium. I sat down. The seat collapsed. And I'm only 64 kgs. Imagine you sat down. It will break. Not just collapse. It will dis disintegrate. Right? The whole of life is full of trust. You walk out there. You take a drink. Right? It's full of trust. Everything you, 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 you buy a ticket, you get on the plane. Will you get on the plane? Will the plane take you there? Even SQ doesn't have 100%. Just in case you think, this Christian thing, you all have faith. We don't need to have faith. We think through life. Is that true? We all have faith. It's whether you trust or don't trust. And so, just a word on grumbling, which I explained to the Bishan congregation last week. Grumbling is not mere complaining. This Asam Laksa is not the way my mother cooked it. Right? This Chakwitya, the standard has fallen. It's not the original one. The father passed away, the son is lousy. Right? <laughs> Grumbling is thinking we know better and do better than God and the servants He sends into our life and the people He sends to love us as His instruments. So they grumble in their tents, thinking that God's hearing devices would not be so good. We're in our tents, right? Moses, they brought us out here to die. Be careful what you say in private on your phone. Be careful what you say in private in your bedroom. 
God's listening device is more powerful than the balloon in the air. And so who to remember is most important. And says to Israel, if you ever go in, you forget God. You don't hear to fear. You don't hear to fear. You don't hear to be a witness. Then he promises you'll be taken away. Isn't that stunning? Isn't it stunningly frightening? Frighteningly stunning that God issues a threat of their exile before they even enter. That God warns them they'll be thrown out before they even enter. Here is the sovereign God and here is His sovereignty. Yet through all of it, notice that our disobedience will not have the last word. Israel will be taken to exile at least twice in her life to Babylon and to Assyria. But the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or f- destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. It always goes back to the promise. It always goes back to the covenant. So what does that mean for you and me? When you come to the New Testament, the fulfillment of this, you come to a passage that is parallel in the fulfillment of this. He says to you, can you read this together with me? You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. What on earth does the writer mean by this? The Jewish Christians who believe were now increasingly persecuted. And the reason for their persecution is Judaism was a legal religion in Roman Empire. But this new thing called belief in Jesus as Messiah, this was not the thing acceptable. And so the temptation for them is you, can, you go back to Judaism, drop Jesus, go back to Judaism, and the writer of this says, you drop Jesus, who is actually the fulfillment of Judaism, you got nothing to go back to. You have now come to the new Mount Zion, to the new city of Jerusalem, to the new mediator. His name is Jesus. The new Theophany is God sending His Son. The Word became flesh. You drop Jesus. You renege on Him. You do a U-turn on Jesus. You go soft and you're ashamed of Jesus. You drop Jesus, you've got nothing to go back to. The old mountain is finished. The old Jerusalem is corrupt. Do not go there. The dangers of unbelief. And see how it ends. Since you've come to this mountain that cannot be shaken, since you come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant by His blood, Therefore, you are to do this, chapter 13, verse by verse. Verse 1, your brotherly love must continue. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality. Verse 3, remember those in prison. Verse 4, let your marriage be held in honour. Verse 5, keep your life free from money. Verse 6, which is not there. And how to keep your life free from money? Be contented. Verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And then he's going to refer, uh, come back to leaders in verse 17. This is what it means to worship Jesus now. Love must continue. So as you listen to this, as we end, 
Do you find your love lessening for anyone? Whether you're single, married, or in family. If you find your love lessening through a crisis, through a disagreement, through miscommunication, the lessening of Christian love for people we are supposed to love is not the work of God through Jesus Christ. Your love should increase. So somebody gave me a good one as I did a wedding. It says, at a wedding, you must not say, right, this is the day the couple loves, the truest, the, the truest expression of their greatest love. The wedding day is the day in which the couple love each other the least, and from that day onwards, their love for each other grows and grows and grows and grows to the ups and downs. Isn't that amazing? That's a paradigm shift, you know? That the wedding day is not the crowning of your love, it's the beginning of your love. And so you shouldn't be lessening your love. I'm just looking at Hang Chi and he smiles. We just celebrated 50 years of his anniversary. 50 years is not a small thing, don't you think? Hey, uh, never mind, it's okay. <laughs> Some of you are not even 50 years old. You think you'll last in a marriage for 50 years? And he stands out there, invites me to go there, give a short word, and that's just amazing. ROM keeps asking us as pastors and religious leaders, please give us the names every year of those whose marriages have lasted 50 years. Because we want to show them as models that this thing can work. This thing can work. Do not forget to show hospitality. Let your marriage bed be held in honour. I remember once in our discipleship group, this person was really troubled. He said, I'm troubled because so many of my friends of my generation uh, are choosing to divorce. No, we all were Christians. But now in our 60s. Why are you choosing to divorce in your 60s and 70s? Because this began with a trend in America that I highlighted in, in what our church camps have been highlighting throughout. It's now not just divorces after five years, divorces after 10 years, divorces after 30 years. And who was the poster boy for this? Al Gore, the former vice president of America, divorcing his wife, Tipper. Of course, we shouldn't take it from American celebrities. I've been married, this is my 36th year. If I follow that trend, I'm still shaky. I don't know whether I'll make it to 40 years. Does that scare the daylights out of you? It should. This is the message of the world that we live in. Let the marriage, and this was written 2,000 years ago. And let your life be free from the love of money. And remember your leaders. And the crowning verse is verse 8. Why should you live like that? Whether it was Israel going to the promised land or us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so, we need to practice the discipline of remembrance in our life. The more we remember, the better it is. And so, my third sister got converted very late. She was the only one among the 12 of us sent to a Chinese-speaking school. The rest of us all went to English-speaking schools. And so her English wasn't very good when she became converted. She read the Bible in, in, in Chinese. And once she came down, and she came down because my mom was not too well, and mom lived with us until she passed on. And then we brought mom to a clinic, and she, she wait, we waited there. She sat with me and said, hey, you call me Han, is my nickname, Han. I've been reading the Bible, it's so good, so good. And I try, I'm reading John, not I. I remember. Then she, while waiting for mum to be checked out, 
She recounted the whole Gospel of John. John chapter 1 is this. John chapter 2 is the wedding in Canaan. John chapter 3 is Nicodemus. John chapter 4 is the Samaritan woman. John chapter 5. John 21 is Jesus restoring Peter. <laughs> and she's a young convert. She was writing down everything she learned from God's Word. And I was stunned as I speak. I still got goose pimples just speaking on my sister. She was never educated at university because my siblings were all poor. They couldn't make it to university. The younger ones could. And then she got struck with an illness, a sudden autoimmune. I rushed down to where she was in Malacca. By the time I rushed down, it was too late. She was ICU. I couldn't go in. I was prevented from going in. And then I caught a glimpse because the curtain was, was there. I caught a glimpse through that small thing that the curtain was, wasn't totally closed as to how they were treating her. It was the last moments. And they put her on the bed and then shifting her body. She probably passed on. And those who were handling her, the two people I saw were just laughing, you know, about moving the body. And I stood there. And everything within me wanted to rush into the, into the room and say, that's my sister, you know. And just because she died, you don't just treat her like another body. That's my sister. I just stood there and cried. In death, who can remember us and help us? In death, you are just a lifeless body and people do things to you. All the promises that God made is to save us from Satan's sin and death. That though we forget him through dementia, and though we forget him when we die, he never forgets us. You have come to the mediator of a new covenant through the blood of Jesus Christ. No one is forgotten if they believe in Jesus as their Savior and their Lord. Let us pray. Let's stand and pray together. We confess that we are bad hearers. We confess that we choose to forget you. And we choose to forget all the people you've given into our lives to love us. Please forgive us of our forgetfulness. We thank you that you are God who remembers. A God who remembers your promise. A God who remembers your covenant. A God who not just remembers, but fulfills it and fulfills it at the greatest love at the greatest cost. We thank you that in the fullness of time, you've given us your Son. And though death may separate us here, it will never separate us for all eternity. Because you are God of mercy. And no one who believes in you will ever be forgotten or forsaken. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were forsaken at the cross. Thank you that because of you, we will not be forsaken forever. Thank you that you are a great saviour and a great high priest. To you we commit ourselves. Amen.